Amen. Now you guys can have a seat. Yen's kids, you guys can head on downstairs. Hey, let me get a big cheer from the Yen's kids before you guys leave. Woo! I love those little kids, right? They're so much fun. I came in this morning and Hudson was sitting. He, he made an adamant beeline to me to let me know that he was sitting in my chair. He was like, I've been sitting in your chair and I've been talking to Mr. Chris for the past hour. And I was like, sorry, Mr. Chris. <laughs> Well, hey, we are up here this morning, not because we're both teaching, because you guys would be here for two hours. Exactly. We, we do hours. both like to talk, but we have a, a really, really exciting announcement that we are going to be sharing with you guys this morning, and so I'll go ahead and share, I guess, the announcement first, yep. and then do you want to share a little bit about how we kind of got to this point? Absolutely. And then I'll share a little bit about what that looks like going forward. So uh, let me get a drum roll, like beat on the front of your pews. Let's go. Yeah. Heck yeah. All right, this is a big announcement. Hey, so starting in May, we are going from every other Sunday to a rhythm of the first, second, and third Sundays of the month. Yeah. And we obviously are super excited about that because it's just such an amazing time to gather with you guys. Like, I'll be 100% honest, for whatever reason, I was like kind of in a funk this weekend. And honestly, just being here with this with y'all this morning, praying, um, hearing those guys, just being around, it is, it, is genuinely, it is genuinely a life-giving thing to be united and a part of the body here together. And so I know we scattered throughout the week, but to be gathered here on Sunday is just such a great thing. And so we are doing that one, two, three rhythm. And Chris, do you want to kind of share how we got to this point and how even just some of the Squirrel Hill people have been such a, a blessing to be able to be what, doing what we're doing? Absolutely. So uh, we of course, started kind of meeting the every other week, and that was because we are definitely borrowing space from another congregation, and that's Squirrel Hill Christian Church. And through the beauty of relationship, and I think through the beauty of what Jesus gives us in knocking down every barrier and every dividing wall, um, it is very uncommon for two churches to actually work together. You would think it, it shouldn't be, and Cody, who's another pastor in town, actually is like, mm-hmm, amen, mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's very uncommon for two churches to work together. And so, honestly, we would not be here if it wasn't for a gospel orientation of Squirrel Hill Christian Church. And so I think it is in our best interest to demonstrate our love towards the congregation of Squirrel Hill Christian Church and say thank you for this opportunity. So... Just know how much we love you and thank you, and I really believe, and we can talk about this more, that we would not be here at a church if it was not for the generosity and love and care that y'all have given us. And so we love you and thank you, and we pray that we will continue moving forward and building relationships and building trust as we not do things for our own glory, but do things for the glory of Jesus. And so that starts with with y'all and your heart for this community in this area. So we love y'all and thank y'all. Amen to that. Well, so if you're wondering kind of what does this look like, uh, like I said, we're starting this in May. So we are excited. It will be the first, second, third Sunday of May. Um, You might be asking, well, what do we do on the fourth Sundays? And so those are not off Sundays. Um, But if you have been around for a while, we like to use this language, right? It's part of our mission, right? We exist to help people learn and live the ways of Jesus. And so for those fourth Sundays, we're looking at some cool opportunities to say, hey, how can we continue to learn and live the ways of Jesus, but knowing that that might look a little different. Um, So even just this last week, we got to do something like that. We went and prayer walked through the neighborhood. And we got to pray for neighbors and people and even just things going on in our world. And so we're looking at just some cool things like that in the short term, things that don't take a ton of energy and effort, but obviously have a huge impact. Um, But then as we kind of continue to move down, we're looking at adding some women's breakfast, some men's breakfast. Uh, For those of you that like, you know, that deep dive, maybe Sunday school type thing, there's some things I know I've been really excited about, some topics that I've been excited about. And so that's kind of as we look forward to those fourth Sundays, we, we have a vision. If maybe you have something on your heart and you're like, I've always wanted to try this. And we're like, we're let, not letting you do that on a normal Sunday, but you can do it on the fourth <laughs> Sunday. Um, you know, but that's, that's what's cool. That's part of the body is sometimes you have to have those spaces to kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink and, and see what happens and see what God does in that. So we're excited for those fourth Sundays. And then some months, right, there's fifth Sundays. Fifth Sundays, those are just rest Sundays. Um, those are a chance to just 
be with family, to be with friends, um, to just give our volunteers uh, uh, just a, a clear, known weekend off and to, to just have some rest. And so speaking of volunteers, if you are like, man, I'm so excited that we're moving to this, we would definitely love to have some more people step into some different roles. Um, our Yin's kids have been doing amazing. Uh, they like are they're, I think they have maybe the most volunteers. They're, they're they crushing do. it. They um, do. But I, our connections team and our music team and our tech team, man, we'd love to have you consider being a part of one of those. And so if you're excited and you're looking to jump in, it's an easy way to get connected. We already have a really good foundation. So uh, the cool thing is, is it's not something where it's like, you signed up and <laughs> have fun. We got you every Sunday now. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's a cool opportunity just to, to jump in and serve. And so we're excited to see what God does in that. And so even in all of that, though, like we know that as we gather, right, at the end of the day, like being in this space together, um, it's a drop in the bucket of our week. Sure. And so as we, as we sing, as we hear the word, the reality for us being together here more, um, I really think means more opportunity um, to be encouraged and kind of catalyzed to go back out, to be scattered back into the world and continue um, to just to, to help people learn and live the ways of Jesus. So without further ado, he doesn't get much applause because he has these weird times where like there's prayer and transition. So Chris is not a big adoration guy, but I'm going to put him on the spot here. Dude, give it up for Chris as he gets ready to give the word of God this morning. Heck yeah. <laughs> Have fun today, dude. Thank you. I love you, Zach. We'll, we'll talk about this later. Um, it's funny what Zach just said. I actually was just thinking a minute ago. I said it's, it's becoming more and more like a family reunion every Sunday. It's like the family gets back together and we get a chance to, to see each other, say hey, and then we're going to get a chance to go out. And that's, you know, that's what we hope for each week is that we spend more time scattered than we do gathered. And so in our times of gathering, we want to make sure that we point to the one that needs to be pointed to, which is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing today as we start our Cultivate series. And as Zach is, is much more talented than I am at most everything, especially graphics and coming up with cool lines, but we are looking for rooted belief, which brings about rooted obedience, is what we're looking at here over the next couple months as we begin to really just kind of pull apart Mark and get a sense of where he is going as he writes this gospel, this good news to the Gentiles. And, you know, as we start today, it's probably something that's going to happen for many of y'all, maybe later, as, as Zach made this announcement about going from two weeks to three weeks and how we need volunteers, and it's just going to kind of like, wait a minute, it's going to hit you. Well, there was a great example for me of this, this news that I heard, but I wasn't quite listening to. And we know as if you're a parent, you know how little your children, you know they hear you because there's like this acknowledgement or tenseness, but then they, they're not listening to you because they don't like actually implement what you ask them to do. And we all know that. And I'm sure all of us have done that before as well. A lot of parents are like, oh, a lot all the time. But um, you know, there was this time in my life where there was some news that came to me that was vitally important. I heard the news, but I wasn't quite like listening. And then when it like sunk in, you know, something happened and it was a, it was a, um, a morning. Um, I had woken up early like I do often and had gone and run. And what I love to do is like do stuff early in the morning, take like a mid-afternoon nap. Like that's my favorite. Like I don't like afternoon naps because I won't sleep that night. I only need a little bit of sleep anyway. So if I add to it, I'm just done. So I got me a little mid-afternoon nap um, or mid-morning nap in and I get this like punch in my ribs and I'm like, what is going on? And I wake up and I'm kind of discombobulated. And it's Rachel and she's saying, Chris, Chris, Chris. And I'm like, what? what? And she said, we're expecting, we're pregnant. Oh, that's really cool, babe. That's awesome. <laughs> and so I heard the news. I wasn't listening to the news. And I, as I'm in the process of dozing back off to sleep, the news that entered my ears began to kind of roll around in the BB-sized brain that I have, and it began to kind of hit the walls. And then it began to seep into my heart, and then I began to realize, wait a minute. We're expecting. And, of course, the outburst was just incredible, the tears and the excitement and the celebration and, and how it goes. And, you know, it took it going from my ears into my brain into my heart, and this, this reaction just erupted out from me. And 
you know, Jesus in Mark 4, which is what we're going to be in today. So if you want to go and open your Bibles up to Mark 4, he says these things and he's like, hey, don't just hear the news, but listen to the news. He says in verse 3, he says, listen to this in Mark 4. And then he, he says this parable, he makes this statement, and then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here Jesus is exclaiming something very similar to what Rachel said. Just listen to me. Just like parents, just listen to me. Here we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to make sure this is going to seep in, not just to our ears, but into our brain, into our hearts, and then hopefully create this reaction. Now, we're going to be in a parable today. Now, I'll tell you, parables are very tricky. And it is Zach and my desire to give you some type of practical advice um, each week for you to be able to study the Bible on your own. The, we do what we do because we love you and we want to proclaim um, the beauty of the gospel. However, remember what we said is we're gathered way less than we're scattered. And so there's a responsibility on all believers to be able to read and study and discern the word of God within yourself. So one of that is, let's look at parables, because parables can be very tricky to read at times. So we have to ask ourselves whenever we're reading in the Gospels and Jesus is proclaiming a parable that we have to make sure that we're attempting to read the parable in context of Jesus' teaching. And so whenever Jesus tells a parable, he's addressing two different crowds. We had people who just really wanted to be connected to Jesus that followed Jesus, and he had a whole bunch of just interested spectators that were just there for the show. And so whenever he taught in a parable, it was a story to reach both of these different groups. And so it's a message of life and it's a message of life for those that are connected to Jesus and a message of judgment for those that aren't. And so we have to understand that. It also, parables are kingdom stories. Parables are stories that are pointing to the goodness of the kingdom. So whenever we're reading a parable, Jesus is giving an illustration of God's kingdom. And so when he's given that story, he is in this day and time of Scripture. Typically when the Pharisees taught, they taught about kingship and they taught about the courts and they taught about all these like things that just the normal person had no idea about. Jesus did not teach that way. He did whatever he could to connect it to just the common man. And so it, context is important. So there is going to be a level of contextual understanding that we have to have in parables. So we have to work a little harder than these people. Jesus says whatever he says today when we read Mark 4, and everybody in that crowd probably understood it, at least at face value. We have to do a little work because we're not in AD 30. Um, so just know that when you're reading parables, you might have to dive in just a little bit. And the beautiful part about parables are they're not just cute stories. They are invitations. Jesus is freely and effortlessly offering an invitation to the kingdom of God. And so it's a beautiful thing. So we are going to be receiving an invitation today to look to the kingdom of God. Now, we are going to be in the parable of the sower. So we're going to be talking about farming. Now, there's a really good chance that no one in here, maybe there is, if you are, raise your hand, but it's, it's very little chance that anyone in here has ever really done farming before. Am I wrong? Anybody? Yeah. All right, so Jake has done a little bit of farming before. Good. Thank you, Jake. So Jake's the expert here. But I am not because I have... I have done like food plots for deer hunting, but that's about it. Very small scale, not like grand scale farming. So usually when we think of farming, we think of something like this, all right? So big, wide open fields, you hop up on your John Deere tractor, you drive the plow through the ground, you're dropping the seed. It's all very computerized and analytical, and especially farming today, it's like, boom, put it in a row, make it nice and straight, you got that thing in here, you got pesticide, it, this kind of thing. Well, I, I don't even know much about this farming. What I do know a lot about at least have experienced in my last 18 months is farming in Pittsburgh. And a lot of my neighbors have gardens. And the foremost garden that everyone is jealous for is my neighbor, Franco. And Franco's actually here today. But um, is everybody's jealous about Franco's garden. Like I climb up the wall 
of Franco's backyard to peek and see if he's in there to steal his tomatoes as I walk to church. All right, I'm, a, I'm putting myself out there. I'm guilty. Franco's garden's incredible. Franco takes painstaking approach to his garden. All right, his, his daughter, Lucia, actually picks on him and says that Franco doesn't just prepare the soil, he sings to the soil. <laughs> He doesn't just pick out the plants like he talks to them in the store to see how they respond in Italian, of course, just to see if they understand, to see to make sure they're going to grow correctly. And he, he purposely places them in the ground with care. And apparently the legend goes is that Franco sings Italian lullabies to his tomatoes every single night. I don't know if it's true or not, but man, they produce. So if it's true, then let the lullabies come. But... Franco takes this just constant care of, of the ground and the singing and the pruning and the pesticiding and the fertilizing and the whatever else. It, don't, never pesticide. Sorry, don't ever pesticide. Franco's correcting me now. And that, <laughs> so that's what I get of gardening is, is all this process. Well, today we're talking about a Palestinian sower, which may look a lot more like this. No John Deere tractor, no Lowe's to go get plants from but someone standing in a field with a satchel or a basket that is casting seed into the field. Casting, broadcasting seed into the field. And a Palestinian farmer actually plowed post-broadcasting. It's typically what they would do. So they would cast the seed, and then they would go behind it and plow it, and that would really pull it into the ground. And so today, we're asking you to put your farming goggles on, um, and we're going to have to really kind of dive in and let's see what this parable means. If this is an invitation, what is this invitation that it's making? So our objective today is going to be up here on the screen. It is everyone should carefully consider the soil because there's more to the seed than meets the eye. We must carefully consider the soil because there's more to the seed than meets the eye. So with that being said, we're going to jump in and we're going to read our passage for the day. So if you would, as we do at Still City Church, if you're willing and able, if you would stand with us as we read the Word of God. There's nothing more important that we do on a Sunday than proclaim the Word of God together as a body of believers. This is what we focus on. This is what we base everything on. So here we go. Uh, Mark 4, verse 1. He began to teach again by the sea, and that he is Jesus. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that Jesus got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in these teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. He was sowing some seed, and it fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And then other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and because it was, had no depth of soil, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. For this is the word of the Lord. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus exclaims in here, listen to this. And it's easy for us to see very initially, man, we see these different types of soil that begin to come out. As we said, it's very important that we consider the soil. So let's really quickly consider the soil. So we first, we have hard soil. And so in this hard soil, being a farmer, he's probably gonna, not going to waste a lot of time putting his precious seed out on hard soil. But there was probably a road that ran along, the, ran along the field. And so you have to think, man, this is a road or a pack-down trail. This is where people walked. Everybody walked in those days. Now, just because it's a road, just because it's hard, just because it's packed down, doesn't necessarily mean that in and of itself it's bad soil. 
It's not rocky, most likely, because nobody wants to walk on a rocky trail. And it's not covered in weeds because people have been walking through it, so the weeds have most likely been pushed back. It's just hard soil. The seeds land on it. There's no way for them to seep into the ground. They're exposed. They're exposed to the harsh sunlight. They're exposed to an opportunity for birds or other animals to come and pick them up and carry them off. And of course, when they do that, it renders it useless for the harvest right there in the field. And so the purpose of production of harvest is greatly hampered. And then you also have rocky soil. Now, the rocky soil isn't necessarily hard soil on the surface. He's not throwing soil onto the rock. It's rocky soil. The whole collection of it is rocky. So it isn't necessarily hard on the surface. The hardness of the soil is underneath. It may even look like good soil on top, but once it gets to a certain point, once it gets past the top soil, it's rocky. And of course, when there's rocks just below the surface, it's hard to develop roots. And, you know, the plant grows, but once it gets too big, it it doesn't have the sustainable nutrients that it needs deep in the soil. It can't get deep in the soil. So when the harsh element comes, it just wipes it away. And so the wind and the sun, they end up overcoming the plant, and the purpose of production of harvest is greatly hampered. So we've got the hard soil, we've got the rocky soil. We also had soil that was nearby weeds. Now, this is kind of interesting here because the soil, again, most likely isn't rocky. It's not hard because something's growing in it. It just happens to have weeds or invasive plants kind of within its proximity, kind of right around wherever that seed lands. There's something around there. So the seed, just like the weeds, is able to grow. But the invasive weeds and the vines begin to kind of see that growth and move towards that growth. And, you know, invasive vines especially have this ability to even tap into a healthy plant and suck the nutrients out of the healthy plant. And so that healthy plant's able to grow. The weeds see that. They kind of overcome it. They begin to begin to challenge for that um, healthy growth and development. And again, the purpose of harvest is greatly hampered. But then we have the fertile soil. Everybody loves the fertile soil. We love fertile soil. Franco's soil is the most fertile. I love that his soil is fertile because I'm going to steal some good tomatoes from it. And so here we have the healthy soil. So it has healthy conditions, making it favorable for receiving the, the, the seed into the soil. And it pulls it in. It's got a beautiful amount of nutrients, and it's exposed to the proper amount of sunlight, and, and it can soak in the right amount of rain when the rain comes. And in due time, what happens when that seed gets deep into that soil? You think the seed is gone, it disappears, you don't see it anymore, and all of a sudden in due time, it begins to sprout and break the surface. And then whatever you're growing at that time begins to mature into the plant that is supposed to, bearing the fruit that is supposed to, and it's just this beautiful thing. And, And here... Jesus even says it produces a bumper crop, even a bumper crop of a bumper crop. A typical seed, they say, produces about six to ten times um, itself. And here in Scripture, it's saying it can produce 30 or 60 or 100 times. When that seed gets into fertile soil, it's amazing what can happen. Now, it's easy for us to say, that's some amazing soil. But we also have to acknowledge the fact, could it be an amazing seed? Could there be something about this seed that we're missing? Because if we really look at it, the landing point of the seed doesn't change the seed. The seed still has the same potential energy regardless of where it lands. You know, the powerful seed, though, when it's in other soils, it doesn't seem to produce. But when it gets in that fertile soil, man, there's something about when those two things come together that is incredible. And it creates this miraculous 
harvest. So we have to ask the question, do we understand what the seed is? And another practical thing for studying scripture is when you're reading scripture, it's very important that you pay attention to repetitive words. Here in this passage, we see seed come up multiple times. And so we have to draw our attention to the thing that is being repeated, which is the seed. So what is this seed? We have to ask this question. And I'll give you a little bit of a disclaimer. The seed, remember, is, well, the seed is here. Uh, if a parable points to the kingdom of God, and we keep seeing this thing come up over and over and over again, which is the seed, then we have to be confident in saying, huh, this must be pointing to the kingdom of God. This must be pointing to Jesus. This must be pointing to the good news of the gospel. So let's figure this out. Let's, un let's unpack this. Let's get to know this seed. So actually in verse 14, if we skip down just a little bit, Jesus, the disciples are like, Jesus, well, I ain't understand a thing you just said. Like it, it, it's here. Like I think I heard you, but it hadn't quite gotten down a little bit. So the, the disciples are like, man, you, come on, Jesus, give us, give, throw, throw us a little bone. Like you got to talk to us. So Jesus starts this explanation of what it is. He actually says it in 13. Do you not understand this parable, boys? Like, come on, get it together. And we're like, if I was there, I'd have understood it. No, I wouldn't have either. Um, that's why we're here today. So how will you understand all of the parables if you don't understand this one? And he says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And now we have this new word that shows up constantly. So we have this seed that is the word. Now, there's something that's very important here is Jesus makes this change from seed to word. This word is not meaning scripture. If you were to look at the, the Greek text, the Greek text a lot of times has, you know, they have different words than what we do. We translate it very generally sometimes in English because of the way our language is. And so this is not the term that typically would be used for some type of scripture. So he's not pointing to just nouns and verbs and sentence clauses and punctuation and all that. He's pointing way beyond that because he uses this term that is, is very special. The Greek word here is logos. L-O-G-O-S, logos. And we see this term come up a good bit in Scripture, but oftentimes it's referred directly to Jesus. We can actually use the definition as decisive messianic power. And so here we have the word. The sower went out to sow the decisive messianic power. John 1 uses logos in, in the very beginning of his book. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we can say, in the beginning was the decisive messianic power. Jesus was there in the beginning. And Jesus, the decisive messianic power, was with God in the beginning. And Jesus, the decisive messianic power, was God. He is God. And so here, remember, parables are pointing to the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here, hey, <laughs> this is about me. Jesus says in Mark 1, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. I just wonder what his reaction was like. You know, the boy on YouTube is like, you know what he does, like that or something. He like... <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know how to do it, but I'm not cool either, so that's part of the problem. But the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Look at me, who I am and what I'm going to do for you may seem as insignificant as this seed, the seed that's just in the sower's pouch like so many others, but I am the seed of the plant or the fruit that your heart longs for. Look to me. But why is this? Well, for this, we've got to even rewind way back to the very beginning of Scripture. 
And hopefully many of you that are in discipleship groups are going to completely understand this because we just did a series about this. But at the very beginning of Scripture, we had this beautiful design that God created. And we're even told as people that we are created in the image of God. So when we are in relationship with the person that we are actually the image of, it is a beautiful relationship. And so God's design initially was for completeness. It was completeness in all relationships. In all relationships, in physical relationships, social, spiritual, psychological, everything was perfect at the beginning. And why was this possible? Because God was king. God ruled in the garden. But then because of some issues that we had, we enter into brokenness. You know, we weren't satisfied with God being king because we want to be our own king. We're not okay with the seed. We want to be the seed. We want to be in control. We want to be the one that gets planted and grown and beautiful. And so it creates this this self-centeredness that begins to happen. And, you know, we all have experienced self-centeredness in other people, and we all experience the results of brokenness coming out in self-centeredness. Parents, you do it in your kids all the time. You have this great relationship with your kid. You're at Disney World. Everything's going well, and the kid's like, but I won't, but I won't, but I won't, but I won't. And it's like, if I hear, but I won't, one more time. And it's easy for us to wag our fingers at our kids. Friends, if you have a friend, everybody has a friend. We all understand self-centeredness. We all understand how that can create damage in relationships and how that can fracture and and break very, very successful functioning relationships. It's easy for us to wag our fingers at our friends. And then we realize, man, you know, I'm a parent wagging my finger at a kid, but man, I was a kid once too. And I'm a friend wagging a finger at a friend or a coworker or a family member or whatever it may be, but I'm also that too. And then, so then we have to acknowledge the fact that we in and of ourselves have tried to create this kingship that has broken the design that was initially, that was initially there, the perfect relationships that were initially there. You know, Tim Keller says, there's nothing that makes you more miserable and he also says, or less interesting than, self, than self-absorption, than self-centeredness. How am I feeling? How am I doing? How are people treating me? How am I proving myself? How am I succeeding? Why am I failing? Am I proving myself enough? Am I being treated justly? Am I, is this fair for me? And you just hear those questions over and over again, and they begin to make you sick some. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm asking all these questions all the time. You know, then we have to ask the question, man, and we're dealing with it right now. Why do we have wars? Well, I would say it's pretty easy to trace back what's going on between Russia and Ukraine to a very open form of self-centeredness. But then we can't, again, just wag our fingers at Putin, right? Where would we get? Because then we can ask the question, why is there racism? Why is there classism? Why is there sexism? Why are there family struggles? Why are there marriage struggles? Why are there relationship struggles? Why am I having struggles with friends? Why, 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 why all this brokenness? You know, God being king brought harmony and perfection. Me being king brought brokenness. I can look back in my life and I can see casualties on all fronts because of my self-centeredness, because of my self-absorption. I can see brokenness all over and sometimes even irreparable damage. But how do I get back to God's design? And we see as early as the third chapter in Scripture, we see the fix 
to the brokenness. You know, in, in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, and this is really what we're going to be focusing on constantly going back to as we go through our Cultivate series, but he makes this statement. He says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news, the proclaimed good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when we hear the word Jesus Christ, we don't think much of it because typically, other than sometimes it can be used as a swear word, right? But when we hear the, the, the phrase Jesus Christ, it's just something that we hear. Well, if a, if a Jewish person in AD 30 would have heard the term Christ, it would have been a direct reference to the Messiah, the coming one, the promised one, the one that was prophesied, the one that was proclaimed constantly that he was coming to rescue us. And here Mark is saying out loud, this is the beginning. This whole book that I have given you is the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Well, we have to look back and say, man, so in the third chapter of Genesis, in Genesis 3.15, you can check it later if you want to, brokenness has happened, or the God's design was there, self-centeredness entered, we wanted to be our own king, Eve ate, Adam ate, our eyes were open to sin, boom, it happened, what's going to fix it? And as early as Genesis 3.15, listen to what it says. It says, or it says, it references a seed, a what? It references a seed who will deliver a death blow to Satan. It references a seed that will deal a death blow to all the brokenness we experience. We all long to get out of this brokenness. Sadly, most of the time, we're trying to do it ourselves because we are our own kings, but we're longing for someone to lead us out of this. And the, the leader, the ruler, the head that we all long for, the one that we all want to be satisfied in, the one that we all want security in, or even in ourselves, we want that provision, we want them to provide for us, whatever it may be, we want this Savior and here, in as early as Genesis 3, a seed will be provided for that. Not just a leader, not just someone to follow, but a Savior. And this Savior's come not only just to meet our physical needs, which we'll see physical needs get met as we read through Mark. We're going to see miracles happen. It's going to be awesome but we're also going to see spiritual brokenness met as well. How? Where is it coming from? It's coming from the seed. Now, but Mark didn't just stop at the fact in Mark 1 where it says Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. He also makes this crazy claim that he is the Son of God. And here we have Jesus that enters in as the Messiah, but he's not just a man coming in to rescue us politically, or rescue the Jewish race politically, but he's also the son of God. Jesus is fully God. He has the rights to God's kingdom. Why does he have the right to God's kingdom? Because he's God. And so when he tells a parable pointing to God's kingdom, no one can tell it better than the very one who is in God's kingdom, who is God's kingdom. And so he proclaims this clearly in this parable. Jesus is also, though, fully human. Because if we just had this far-off God that came to save us, then there would be this disconnection point. And it'd be like, man, you don't understand what I'm going through. Nah, well, Jesus solved that problem too because he is the son of God. He also came to be fully human. So God demonstrates not only his willingness to bridge the gap for us, he also is going to become us. Why is he doing that? Because, he's, because uh, reinitiating God's design is so important to him. Because our brokenness, in our brokenness, we can't get there. He came to us. The God of the universe came to us. Not only did he come to us, but he experienced first 
hand the brokenness that we experience. He has experienced Jesus in the flesh, experienced the same brokenness that you have experienced. He has experienced disappointment. He's, Jesus experienced frustration. Jesus experienced ridicule and betrayal and bickering and physical suffering and tiredness. He's experienced pain. Jesus experienced death outwardly of people that he loved and also inwardly. But the brokenness didn't master him. He is our perfect example that brokenness can be overcome. So when we talk about the seed, there's more than meets the eye. It's not this insignificant thing. It's amazing. And you think about just how small a seed can be and how great a plant it can grow. I think about my, my Aunt Brenda's house where there was this small little maple seed. Have you ever seen a maple seed? It just kind of just floats down and it just seems incredibly insignificant and incredibly fragile. But man, when, whenever this seed, however many years ago, hit the ground and got into some fertile soil, it grew and it grew and it grew and it made this monster maple tree that actually did damage to her foundation and did damage to her walkway and did damage to her driveway to the point that it was even hard for her to drive over it. And so we were living with my Aunt Brenda actually at the very beginning of COVID. And so what was the question she had? But hey, you think you can help us fix the driveway? And, and so it took us days to break apart the concrete of the driveway. And this tree picked it up and moved it. This very insignificant seed in fertile ground as it grew did things that it took five or six of us to do. There's more to the seed than meets the eye. And so we have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus isn't just a baby born in a manger, but he's our conquering king. He's not just a carpenter's son from Nazareth. But he's the prophesied and he's the promised one. Jesus isn't just a loving person that we can feel good about, but he is the essence of love. Jesus isn't just human. He is the perfect portrait of humanity. Jesus isn't just a healer. He is the great physician. Jesus isn't just a knowledgeable priest or a knowledgeable person, but he is the great high priest. Jesus isn't just sinless, but he's a friend to sinners. Jesus isn't this far off distant God that we can use as a cosmic candy machine. He's our intimate savior. Jesus isn't a one and done and I'm out savior. I did my work, I'm gone but he's this constant companion along the way. And I think most importantly, Jesus isn't just our crucified Savior. He is our risen King. And we can, can confidently proclaim the fact that we have multiple times that our Jesus, our Christ abolished death. There is more to the seed than meets the eye. Our seed, our word, humbly wrapped in humanity. There's more to the seed than meets the eye. So the focus of this parable is the kingdom of God. Let us look to the seed, which is Jesus. There's more to that little seed than we can ever imagine. But because of this seed and how powerful the seed is, we as people have to consider the soil that it lands on. You're here in church, so we're listening to something. I am as best as I can possibly proclaim how wonderful Jesus is trying to do that now. So hopefully it's entering your ears in some way, shape, or form. You know, but the truth of the gospel isn't just for disconnected people. It's not just for people that don't know Jesus personally. 
It's also for those that are connected. We have to be reminded constantly of the beauty of what Christ did for us on the cross. Jerry Bridges, who is one of my most favorite authors, he made this statement that I read probably 15 years ago, and I still repeat it constantly in my head, and it is appropriate the gospel daily. Put the gospel in its correct place constantly. Why? Because my brokenness inside of me wars against me. And it wants to shield my eyes from the truth. And so it's important for us as those that are disconnected. It is important for those that are disconnected to Jesus as those that are connected to Jesus to constantly and continuously look to the cross. Look to Jesus. And so while I've confessed Jesus Lord... The war is won, it's over, but there's still these little guerrilla warfare happenings going on in the rural places of my heart that the seed of the gospel is trying to be planted in. So, and I'm assuming that's probably the same with many of you. And so as Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's see what this matters to us. Consider the soil. So we have to consider our ears and our head and our heart and our growth. Kind of where are we in this? If the seed is as great as we say it is, then it matters where the seed lands. And so we have to kind of double back and let's, let's review hard soil. There is a point of hard soil. Now, for those that are not connected to Jesus, there's a really good chance that if you're not connected to Jesus, that you're not hard soil because typically hard soil is gonna be related to some type of like hardcore atheism. And I'll tell you, if you are in here and you're an atheist, I wanna give you a hug afterwards because you have more faith than I do. And I say that from the depths of my heart is anyone who is an atheist has an incredible amount of faith. And so there's a good chance that if you're sitting here, you're not necessarily looking at that hard soil. But the sad part is there might be some believers in here that as the gospel tries to penetrate, there's some hard soil in there. The war is won. Those areas, those rural areas of your heart, that God, that Jesus is also trying to impact have just been beated, beat down. And you are just refusing to allow the truth of the light to penetrate. And it's like, nope, not there. Let me thump that away. Let the bird come and take it. Let the animal come and take it. I just, I, I'm not ready for that. Not a chance. I'm not letting that seed, that truth of the gospel penetrate that. And there's rocky soil. Remember, rocky soil doesn't necessarily seem rocky from looking at it. The rock is underneath. It's got a level of topsoil. If you're disconnected from Jesus, that probably symbolizes those who are, are joyful at first that hear it and like, man, that's really cool. And then they just kind of go about their way. And as the, the winds and the waves of life happen, it's like, ah, it's not really for me. But for connected people, those that are connected to Jesus Christ, it's, it's those of us, we've accepted the truth of Jesus holistically, like the war is won. And you know what? I'm hearing this, this nugget of truth about Jesus, and it's like, oh, man, once it penetrates, and it's like, oh, that hurts a little bit. I'm just, I, I, I don't know about this. And, you know, we'll accept the truth in that area of Jesus but we won't accept the change. Like, man, I can't. I can't have the change. Like, I can't actually move in that direction. And I'll tell you, I have been in this place many a times in my life. And I'll, I'll tell you, just confession before you, that I have struggled with some bitterness towards a family member. And that bitterness towards that family member is, man, I know that Jesus Christ forgave me. I know that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But when he asked me to forgive, I'll forgive, I'll forgive my brother and I'll forgive my parents and I'll forgive them. But I don't know if I can forgive her. And once that, that truth kind of goes down a little bit, man, it hits the rock and it just... 
the winds and waves and the, 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 the sunlight of life just burn it away. And I've got a lot of work to do in that area. So there's hard soil, there's rocky soil, there's also soil that's near the weeds. And this actually, we can kind of lump all, all of us together in this. And those that are disconnected from Jesus and those that are connected to Jesus, the, the weeds create this issue, and we call it the butt mice. The butt mice. And so we hear this incredible truth about who Jesus is, and we know that as it digs in, it's going to grow something, and it's going to change, and it's going to bear fruit. And we realize, man, ooh, but my career. Or we'll say, but, but, my, but my bank account. Like, if I do this, I'm going to take a pay cut now. Like, you know how much more money I could give to the church? So, but my bank account, but my friends, but my family. What will my family think? But my comfort. If I go and I reach out to that person or I go do this, then it's going to hurt my comfort. But my relationships, but my Insert whatever there. You know, I've been stuck here so many times as well where the gospel truth is there. It's in the ground. It's pressed in. It's getting the water and the seed that it needs, but there's just something around it that's keeping it from growing. My, my high school basketball coach used to scream at us constantly this phrase that has stuck with me, um, and we would be beating teams by 30 points, and we would be pressing them to the point that we would be running them out of the gym. So much so that the, the referees would like give timeouts to the other teams just to rest or just make up this random mercy rule just to stop pressing them. And my coach used to scream, kill a gnat with a sledgehammer. Kill a gnat with a sledgehammer. Kill a gnat with a sledgehammer. I mean, he would just, I mean, hammer it into us. And what he was saying was all or nothing. All or nothing, get after him constantly, killing that with a sledgehammer, whatever it takes, he would scream at us. And when we think about the truth of the gospel when it comes to being near weedy soil, killing that with a sledgehammer, the thing that's going to grow in that soil is going to be hampered. The production is going to be hurt. You've got to do whatever it takes to trim that back. But I'll tell you, in times like that for me, I have a really hard time trimming the weeds back. But my, but my, but my. And that's why I've got people in my life that will help me spray Roundup, that will help me trim back, that will help me get those weeds back to allow whatever that truth is to grow up. Don't let the but mys win. And then finally, we've got good soil the one that we always love. We've got the pH balance, fertilized, tilled, sung to by Franco's Italian lullabies every single night. The soil is ready to accept it. Everything's tucked in. Everything's ready to go for that seed to hit the ground, to be plowed over, to dig deep, and to grow. If you are disconnected from Jesus Christ and you feel like your heart is good soil. It's so simple, it's maddening. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's not just this general Messiah, but he's actually my Messiah. He is my Lord. And if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we believe in our heart that Jesus has supernatural, miraculous powers that could only be from God, meaning that he died, he was dead and buried and rose again on the third day, he is the, as Mark says, Son of God, then we are saved. And if you feel like that's you, if you're disconnected from Jesus Christ, 
and you feel like your heart's there and you understand who the seed is and you're ready to confess that with your mouth and believe that in your heart, then we together as a congregation, we celebrate with you. Because that's an amazing thing. And we invite you to to consider baptism, a public, pro, a public proclamation of your faith. We are dead with Christ in baptism and we are raised to walk in the newness of life is what we say. Now, for those that are connected, what does it look like when our hearts are good, fertile soil? Well, we begin to see the fruits of the Spirit. It's amazing how everything keeps relating back to farming, right? we got to up our game. But we see the fruits of the Spirit. We see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control begin to blossom. If you're connected to Jesus Christ and you see good soil, you see the results of good soil, you see the results of the seed that we take for granted in Jesus Christ, be planted and sprout in someone. If you're connected to Jesus Christ, go and tell that person you see that fruit come out. There's more to the seed that meets the eye. Those fruits that are sprouting also produce seeds that then will be spread and the gospel will be spread even further. Go and praise your brother and sister in Christ. Hey, I see you being patient. Hey, I see you demonstrating self-control. Hey, I see you being gentle. That fruit is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if our hearts are fertile, then we bear fruit in places that might have been unbearable at one point in time. So as I said a minute ago, in, in closing, my, I wish my heart, being your pastor, was, was more better, I guess, lack of better words, um, was, had better soil and was more pH balanced and was was more sung to by Franco's Italian lullabies. Um, you know, just recently, there was a spot in my heart that at best was weedy and probably was more rocky than anything. And it was related to, like, my incessant desire to work and perform and do. And I was reading a book. It's called To Hell With The Hustle, um, by Jefferson Bethke. He's a pastor. He actually lives in Hawaii. Um, tough life. But um, he, he made a statement in there about your busyness. And he said that your busyness is actually a direct reflection to your lack of faithfulness. Because you don't trust God to handle the things that you think you should be handling. And that busyness and that lack of trust was beginning to kind of create a fracture in my family, my relationship with Rachel and my relationship with Tinley and Edie. And I had been told that by people before, but finally, finally, my heart was at a place to accept it. And I tell you, when that seed has gotten in there and it's began to sprout and I don't have to worry constantly about these things I don't need to be worrying about and that fruit begins to blossom, it is amazing, that feeling. That relationship, that design has been restored. And, you know, we want to be cultivated together that's what we're here to do as a body of Christ, a body of believers. We are here to cultivate, to be cultivated and to cultivate each other, to push ourselves in places where we can be cultivated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to bring about a rooted belief in who Jesus Christ is. But when we understand the power of that seed, that there's more to the seed than meets the eye, it's just not a knowledge thing. It brings about a level of action and obedience that completely blows the minds of the world. So that's where we are and that's where we're moving into with Mark.
is the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And that, in and of itself, is going to change everything. And in some ways, it already has. And that's why right now, we move into our communion time, our time to reflect on what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So if you did not pick up a very delicious wafer and... um, some grape juice. They will have some, we'll have some people walking around with that here in just a second because I always forget to pick mine up. I luckily remembered it this time. There's a quote that I read recently by John Howard Yoder. And he says, The cross is not a detour or a hurdle on the way to the kingdom. Nor is the cross even the way to get to the kingdom. The cross is the kingdom come. And so we come together to reflect upon and celebrate communion. And we make sure we appropriate it in a way that it dives in and digs deep and plants seeds in us that can grow later. And so just like Andrew, and I'm so glad you shared this, but we don't eulogize Jesus. We celebrate the death of our Savior because three days later he rose again. And so that's what we do right now. This is not a detour or a hurdle on the way to the kingdom. Nor is it even the way to the kingdom. It is the kingdom come. That's what the cross did for us. So on the night prior to going to the cross, he was with his disciples. And in the upper room, he held up some bread and he said, This is my body that is to be given for you. Take it and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And as they were together in that room, he continued on and he held up probably a, a, a cup or a goblet or whatever of, of wine at that time, and he held it up and he said, pointed to it and said, this is my blood that will be poured out for you. Take it, drink it, and do this in remembrance of me. So in front of you, you have a Connect card. Looks like that. You can fill it out. It is a joy for us every Monday morning to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request on there that you would like to share with us, it is a blessing for us to be able to bear your burden in prayer. Um, So just know that gets prayed for constantly. Um, If there's a reflection in here that you would like to share with us based on what we talked about today, maybe it's, it's a profound statement that was said about the seed, there's more to the seed than meets the eye. Who is Jesus to you? Maybe it's something about your heart related to one of the soils. I don't know. If you want to share that on there, be our guest. That would be fine too. Um, if, there's, if, if you're ready to, to get up here and, and sacrifice in the area of sharing and blessing with us how wonderful your voice or musical abilities are, you can write that on there as well. We want to give you just a minute to just take some time to reflect about what we talked about today, what we processed together as a body of Christ. So take your time with this card, complete it, fill it out, pray through it. We would love to. You can drop it in one of the baskets that's in the back of the room on your way out, but we would love to be able to connect with you, pray for you, celebrate with you, whatever it may be. So let's, let's take a minute to reflect um, with our Connect card. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to come together and gather. Um, Lord, let us focus on the seed. Let us see that the seed, there's more to it than meets the eye. It just seems so insignificant. 
And Lord, you coming as a baby in a manger in an incredibly humbly way to leave in the most humiliating way possible, it's just mind-blowing. And so, Lord, I pray that the truth of the gospel would seep into my heart as well as everyone else's heart, not just so we have more knowledge, not so we have ammunition for our, our arguments or whatnot, but so we have something digging in deep, deep to us so we can look more and more and more like you because you're worthy of it. Um, so, Lord, I pray uh, for those in this room that are hurting. I pray for those in this room that are angry. I pray for those in the room that, that are disappointed or frustrated or whatever it may be, whatever emotion they may be experiencing. Lord, I pray that your gospel truth will penetrate those feelings, not because those feelings are wrong, but because, man, you make everything right. So, Lord, as we worship together, let us glorify you. We ask all this in your holy name.